turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, down the center column of seats are a couple Bibles stacked on top of each other. You're welcome to take one of those. You can look in the table of contents to find out where Luke would be, because I forgot to look at it. If I surveyed our group and asked who were some of the most influential people in your life, then most likely all of us would, would list among those people our moms. Isn't that true? Um, every person born into this world is born from a mom. Our moms carry us for nine months. They labor to deliver us. And uh, even if you're adopted, your, your mom nurses you, nurtures you. Um, oftentimes, moms can be our, our greatest advocate. They can be our biggest fan. Moms tell us the truth, whether it hurts or not. Uh, moms in every way care for us. I think of the, the young moms with young kids, of which our church is, is plenty, um, that likely have kids that wake up in the middle of the night and you wake up in the middle of the night with them to, to tend to them, to, to rock them, to feed them, to console them. Moms sort of do that kind of thing with us even as we grow up in life. Uh, you know, I. I still call my mom and talk to my mom, and uh, my mom is one of my heroes. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is no different. Jesus is the eternal son of God, yet in the wisdom of God's redemption, Jesus had a mom, and her name was Mary. And in our Christmas series, we're going to look at her story today. Mary is perhaps the most significant woman and mother that the world has, has ever known, and we'll experience this Christmas story through her eyes as we peek at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Read with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted to be in your presence. We are gathered as your church 
as the people of God, to hear the word of God and to be informed about who you are and, and what you've come to do through your son, Jesus. And, and Lord, I pray a simple prayer for us this morning. Uh, we're reading uh, familiar words, a familiar passage of scripture that we, if we've been in the church or as Christians for a while, we've heard this story before. And so God, I pray that you breathe fresh life into it, that you would help us to see something in Mary's life and in the birth of Jesus that we have yet to see. Um, God, amaze us by your grace. Capture us by your presence. And Lord God, draw us near to your son. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. So Mary's story actually begins where all stories begin. Our story begins in the beginning, back in Genesis. So in Genesis, we learn that God creates the world, and as part of his great creation, he creates a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, uh, their husband and wife. They are, um, they are in the midst of the perfection that God has created. He gives them the responsibility to, to be stewards of all that he's made, particularly in the Garden of Eden. We should assume that, Mary, that Joseph and Mary had freedom of maneuver military term. They could have done anything and gone anywhere they want. They were the vice regents of all of creation, given charge to subdue anything that wouldn't submit to them as representatives of God on the earth. They only had one limitation. It was, it was a negative command. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. We don't know how much time passes by. It could be Hours or days or months or perhaps years, many of many of years. But the unthinkable happens. Adam and Eve are seduced. They are enticed uh, by the, the Satan coming in the form of a serpent. And he somehow gets them to do the very thing God says not to do. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin um, ensues in them. And in the world, because of this, their disobedience, and the very thing that God said would happen, happens. They die. They don't die, they don't die physically immediately, but they die spiritually. And the sign of that is, is they hid. They hid from each other. They hid from God in shame, in condemnation, and in guilt. And if God were uh, condemning God, God would have just left them to that and they would have eventually died spiritually. But God does the, again, the unthinkable. He pursues them like he pursues us. He speaks to them like he today speaks to us. And he speaks to them the words of Genesis 3.15. This is what Genesis 3.15 says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God preaching to Satan. He's actually cursing him, and he's he's at the same time bringing good news. Theologians call this the the proto evangelion, the 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 good news in the Old Testament. And this is what the good news is: it's it's the answer to human sin, rebellion, and folly, and separation from God that's caused by Adam and Eve and their rebellion in the garden, doing what God said not. To do. And this is this is the good news. A son will come through the line of the woman, Eve. There's going to be a battle, a war between the serpent, between Satan, uh, other 
parts of scripture call it the, the dragon, this, this rebellion, this renegade against God. There's going to be a battle between his offspring and the offspring of the woman. The son will be wounded, but Satan will be defeated and the son will become the savior of all. This is the ancient story of scripture. And, that, and from that point forward, God's people through scripture have have always wondered, well, who is this son going to be? Who is this redeemer? This this person that's going to break the rebellion of Satan and be our grand deliverer. Fast forward thousands of years, a couple thousand at least to the days of the prophets. God raises up the prophet Isaiah. We looked at this last week and 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, he prophesied Further, the revelation of the coming of a male child. And this is what Isaiah says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Isaiah says under the unction of God that there's going to be an event in history where you, I mean, you can't miss this. The impossible is going to happen. God is going to cause a male son to be delivered. The most significant con- conception and birth will happen, and it will happen to a virgin mother. And the son she'll bear will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that brings us to our text. And as we peek into the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, I've got four points for you as we uh, work through this. This passage, and the first point is is this: that uh, Mary gives us an example of the person that God uses. Mary is an example of the person that God uses. Verse twenty six. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We haven't been in Luke in the life of our church, and I wish I could tell you a whole bunch about Luke. Um, Luke's gospel is uh, is different than. I mean, we're in the middle of a series in John, right? Almost to the end of that. And John is writing to help us believe. Luke is writing because he wants us to have this in-depth uh, picture of Jesus, who, who, is the, who is God, Jesus, the God-man. And so we get some intimate details about Jesus as a human being to start with his birth. And there's no one that gives us more details about the birth of Jesus than um, the gospel writer Luke. Luke was non-Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was smart. He's a doctor, like many of y'all. Not your doctors, you're just smart. I'm, I'm trying to boost your ego. Luke had been commissioned by a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus was peering into Christianity. He had a lot of money. And before he just jumped like all the way under and, and went for it, he said, you know what? I'm going to get an innocent party, an, a, a disinterested party to go check out all this stuff about Jesus and Christianity. And he picked Luke and he gave him lots of money and he allowed he he uh he resourced Luke to go and research and talk to eyewitnesses uh, of everything regarding Christianity. And so we should assume that the words that Luke writes uh, are from eyewitnesses or people very close to the action to include talking to Mary herself. Now, he, would have ta- he wouldn't have talked to her you know, around, around the time of the birth. He would have talked to Mary when she was about 70 years old or so. And after doing all this research to include interviewing Mary, he writes the words that are before us. And Luke writes in the sixth month in uh, the sixth month refers to stuff that's happened before. If you read the beginning parts of Luke, um, we learn that God has sent an angel of the Lord to a priest named Zechariah. And uh, this 
angel of the Lord announces to Zechariah that his barren elderly wife, Elizabeth, is going to get pregnant and give birth to a male son whose name is John. He becomes John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And Mary uh, Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. So that's what it means by sixth month. And he continues, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. We talked about angels last week. An angel visited Joseph. And so what are angels? Angels are, are messengers. They're ministers who speak uh, on behalf of, of God. And so God dispatches the angel Gabriel. And this is, this is a significant point. It's, it seems unassuming, but if you think about it, maybe you don't think about it. All right, so give me an example. Let me give you an example. All right, so when God sent an angel to, to Joseph, it says he sent the angel of the Lord. Back up in Luke, when, when, when John the Baptist is, is, is being foretold and he sends an angel to tell his dad, all right, you're going to have a kid, he sends the angel of the Lord. Guess what Mary gets? Mary gets a named angel named Gabriel. There's only two named angels in all the Bible. I mean, think about all the names in this book. The angels don't get names. They probably have names, but we don't know a lot of their names. Mary gets a named angel named Gabriel. Significant point. God sends Gabriel to the city of Galilee named uh, city of Galilee named Nazareth. Because Jesus grows up in Nazareth, we know that he grew up there. We would assume that Nazareth is significant, that it's important, but it's not. Um, back in John, John chapter 1, one of Jesus' earliest disciples, Nathaniel, uh, asked this rhetorical question. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? All right, that was his put down. He was like saying, absolutely not. Nazareth is, I, I don't want to say it's nothing, but it is, it's like close to nothing. Uh, it's located 70 miles uh, northeast of, of Jerusalem. Uh, in Jesus' day, in the Bible days, it would have been a simple rural farming city of not thousand, barely thousand, probably, but, but most likely in the hundreds. The people there lived simple lives. They were mostly um, farming people and illiterate. And so Gabriel comes to Nazareth to a version, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Our picture of Mary in large part is influenced by the Catholic Church, and that's not wrong. Um, but oftentimes the, the, the Catholic art arm of, of the Catholic Church deceives us in terms of the picture that we should have of Mary. We picture Mary as a young woman in her late 20s or 30s. And for whatever reason, you know, she has this uh, embroidered gown on. And Mary is is glowing, right? She's got this like orb around her head, all fixed up. And sometimes she has baby Jesus in her arms. And baby Jesus is he's got a little white robe on. He's got a smile on his face, like he just pooped. And and Jesus has got a, he's got a, a snow glow too, right? Obviously, if you read the the script, right? If you read the script. Mary is from Nazareth. The angel Gabriel went to Nazareth. What is Nazareth? It's, it's not much, right? And so um, Mary, Mary is, it, this isn't the, the picture we should have of Mary, the Catholic Church uh, uh, paints. Historical and archaeological information tells us she was a peasant. She was likely from a, a very poor family. Um, her life would have been spent um, pulling up water from a well, going to fetch wood for the fireplace, 
she's a virgin. The, the scriptures help us understand that. That means she's sexually inexperienced. Uh, the, the, but the, the character trait that the Bible wants us to know is not that Mary's perfect, as the Catholic Church would um, lead us to believe. I'm not putting down the Catholics. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says and what we can, we can get from historical information. She wasn't perfect, but she was unblemished. She was worthy to carry and deliver the eternal Son of God. Mary's connection to God would have been remembering scripture that she had heard, read in the synagogue, singing and praying to God along with her family as they worshiped in whatever form they worshiped. Mary was a teenager. We learned last week that girls were betrothed um, to, to intending husbands at about 12 to 14 years of age. Uh, so if you're betrothed at 12, betrothed, uh, the, the, that betrothal lasts about a year. She would have been married at 13 or 14 years of age, and her husband, Joseph, wouldn't have been very much older than that, or perhaps three or four years older than that. And so, um, I mean, think about that, parents. I mean, some of y'all got young girls that are in that age range. This is the middle school lecture hall of Hayfield Secondary School, and I can't help but think of all the young middle school kids that are girls that would have, in Jesus' day, would have had the potential to... Uh, conceive, carry, and and deliver a baby. I don't know if that scares you or not. It scares it scares me a bunch, right? I got a daughter. She's nine, almost in that age range. And so, I mean, parents, in this, I mean, in today's day, we don't even trust our kids with iPods, right? I mean, can you imagine trusting a twelve-year-old, fourteen-year-old girl with the with the Son of God? God comes to a middle school girl. She's betrothed, and the angel Gabriel is sent to her as she's planning her wedding. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel likely appears to Mary as as a human being, as a man, and uh, this would have been uncommon. Uh, a, an adult male would not have approached a, a young girl. Uh, an adult male usually in public didn't approach any woman, particularly a young girl. Interestingly, Mary is not shocked or put off by that. She's more shocked by the words that the, that the angel says. And this is what the angel says. He gives this great announcement. God has favored you. He's elected you. He's, he's chosen you. He's searched throughout the whole world, and he's come to insignificant Nazareth to, to, to offer you the opportunity to, to, to carry the, the Son of God. It's as if he's saying, you remember coming to the synagogue and hearing all the Old Testament stories of how the prophet said a virgin would give birth to a child? Guess what, Mary? That's you. You've heard this. You've seen this word before, this word favor. It's, the, it's a derivative of the, the Greek word charis. It, it literally means grace. It's God's undeserved favor. It's, it's, it's love from God that we don't earn. We can't earn it. We don't merit it. This, this word describes the essence of how we're saved and loved and embraced by God. And so what the scripture is, is helping us to understand, Mary is chosen by God, and she didn't do anything to deserve it. But it's the same thing for us. We are recipients of God's grand grace. We can't buy it. You can't do anything good enough to earn it. 
God gifts it to you because you simply believe in trust in his son. If you're a Christian, God's given you his grace and he's favored you. We don't deserve it. And that's the truth for Mary, too. She didn't deserve what's about to happen to her. God looked on her and just deemed her worthy because he just deemed her worthy to be the carrier of the son of God. Um, if you think about it this way, God could have he could have picked any setting to, to set his son in to 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 live a human life and to eventually be ready to do the mission that he had sent him on. He could have picked an affluent, wealthy family. He could have picked a family that lived in a palace. He could have picked a, a, a city, a location that was more urban, that had more people. So Jesus would have more more influence and and widespread reach. For whatever reason, he doesn't do that. He picks this insignificant girl in this insignificant town. He chooses Nazareth. He chooses Mary. That's the first point. The second point that we see in Mary's story is the privilege of being used by God. The privilege of being used by God. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary will have the unique privilege of bearing God's son. Luke takes the time to tell Mary exactly who this son is going to be. And he reaches back really to the to the Old Testament to prove to Mary perhaps things that she has heard before as she's frequenting the synagogue about about her son, about the son of God. And really, this both corroborates and it adds to the revelation of Jesus that was given to, to Joseph in Matthew. Um, five things. These aren't the only things that we could pull out of these few verses. But here's here's what I think that the angel would have Mary know. Firstly, uh, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. It's, this is an interesting thing. You know, uh, so I was going to say we get pregnant. We don't get pregnant. All right. So a woman gets pregnant. All right. And I mean, you guys are excited about the the, uh, the idea of having a baby. What are the first things you do? You get that thousand name, name that, that, that huge thousand baby name book. Right. I mean, y'all know y'all get that right. Do y'all still buy that book? Don't I mean, just wasting your money. All right. I've got one if you want one. So y'all y'all still getting pregnant. We got one somewhere. So you get that book out and you're flipping through it and you're like, what should we go, What are we going to call our baby? Mary doesn't get a chance. Joseph doesn't get a chance to name their baby. God names Jesus and he gives him the name that's commensurate with his mission. What's Jesus say? It means God saves. God saves. Jesus receives the name from God and gives him the earthly name that matches his mission. Jesus is the one who will accomplish redemption. Uh, the angel said to Joseph in Matthew one twenty one, Jesus will save his people from their sins. In verse 32, he says he will be great. This 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 son that May, Mary's going to be impregnated with will be great. He's going to be greater than any human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, the angel was particularly saying this because it was it was, he was comparing him to John the Baptist. If you back up in Luke in verse 15, the the angel appears to Zechariah and tells him. Uh, John the Baptist is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, the Old Testament gives some props to John the Baptist. It, it says, among men, he is the greatest prophet that's ever been lived. Because John, I mean, he bridged the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he, he got the full revelation of what God was doing on the earth. 
John was a great man, and he, he proved that out in his life. And so the angel's saying, Jesus is going to be great, greater than any human being that's ever walked the earth. More importantly, what he's helping us to understand is, is the emphasis is the, the contrast of Jesus and his, his, his inherent ability because all of mankind is going to sin and fall short of the glory of God. He also says he'll be called the son of the Most High. And this is a parallel expression that simply means Jesus is the son of God. And so he goes on to say the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And all these are clear designations of of the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one of the Lord. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise uh, to David that he'll have an heir whose whose throne will be established forever. And lastly, the angel tells Mary his kingdom will have no end. This 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 kingdom of God concept is it runs throughout the Bible. It's a mega theme in the Bible that starts in the Garden of Eden and goes all the way up to Revelation 21. The kingdom of God is is God ruling over the hearts of his people in the place that God designates it. And you obviously you see that's what the Garden of Eden was. It's like a heaven on earth. And when Jesus comes as a baby and starts his mission at the age of 30, in in a sense, he brings that kingdom with him and its authority. And we're told in the Bible that the kingdom of God will be consummated when Jesus comes again with authority and with power. So that's the second point. The third point is the plan of God. Mary helps us see as God unfolds for her this young, innocent, unassuming Middle school girl, he unfolds the plan of God for her. Verse 34. And the angel said to Mary, how will this be since I am a virgin? And Mary said to the angel, rather, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And so the angel tells Mary the plan and Mary be like, what? I mean, you know, I'm a virgin, right? A lot of people um, take note of, of this, and some would even argue that Mary is doubting God. That God comes to Mary, reveals himself to her, and tells her some very important news, and that, and that she doubts. Um, evangelical scholars would tell, tell us Mary's not doubting. And she, she doesn't have a lack of belief. She just wants to know how. I mean, like, like, Physically, like, so you know how this works, right? At least in humanity, right? It, at, like, how can, how can I give birth to a, a baby when I've never been intimate? I don't even have a husband yet. He's just my pseudo husband. How is this going to, going to work? And I think that's a fair question. You ever have any, I mean, y'all got any questions? You ever read the Bible, talking to somebody about their faith, and you're just like, all right, so, I believe in God. I believe what the Bible says. I believe it's true. I believe Jesus died. That I believe Jesus came as a baby, that, that he was incarnated as God. I believe he grew up, had a mission, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in my place for my sin, that my salvation is through him. But guess what? I got some questions. I'm your pastor, and I got some questions. Do you all think Christianity is big enough that we can simply have some questions? That's a rhetorical question. It is. We can be Christians and, and have questions, and I think that's really what, what's going on here. But here's the, here's the thing that the, the angel answers. He answers the question, what is the plan? And I don't know if you ever asked this of you. I mean, 
Have you ever thought, it's like, so I, I see what the words say, but how in the world did Mary actually get pregnant? I just got to know. The scripture actually tells us. Verse 35, the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The secret is in the overshadow. Well, the secret's in the Holy Spirit, actually. The, the whole trinity is involved in Jesus being incarnated as a baby. I mean, God, like, threw himself into this to make this, this happen. The word overshadow takes us back to the, the idea of, of covering over, of enveloping. Think of uh, the, the Holy Spirit as he covered over the waters when God was creating the earth, or Mount Sinai when God was giving Israel the Ten Commandments and he, this cloud, this glory cloud, Shekinah glory, the power and presence of God covered the whole mountain. And God says, don't come near the mountain because if you come near it, if you even send your animals near it, you're going to get zapped. I mean, you're going to die. Think about Moses going to the tent, the tabernacle that, that, that had God, God's presence in the middle of their, their dwelling. Every time Moses would go, well, first of all, God, the, the cloud was always over them, particularly when Moses went in to minister to the Lord. The cloud would come down and Moses would be in the very presence of God. One time Moses went up to the mountain, stayed 40 days, 40 nights fasting. He came back glowing. That's, that's the glory cloud, the kind of glory, the power and the presence of God. Um, impacting him and, and so much that it changed his outward appearance. And then I think a New Testament perspective of this would be Jesus goes to, to up on a mountain. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. He invites Peter, James, and John with him. The cloud comes down. God speaks. It envelops all of them. Ma- uh, Moses and Elijah are there. That's, that's the Shekinah glory of God. And that, that's what's happening to Mary here. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and overshadow her with his power through which she'll become pregnant. That's it. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is this. Uh, this is her sixth month with her who will be called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. So the last thing the anchor throws in is that. So it, so. Mary, if you have any doubt, check this out. Elizabeth, your your old barren relative, is going to have a baby. In fact, she's six months pregnant. You should go, you should go visit her. There's nothing impossible with God. So we aren't told this, but especially verse 37, I, I love those words. For nothing will be impossible with God. And, and that's both, I think it's like future tense. He's saying, but not now, but, but not ever. God can do the impossible. God, God can create ex nihilo. He, like Latin for something out of nothing. God can take a woman who is way, way, way beyond menopause and create something in her womb such that she would be able to conceive, carry, and bear a, a child, bring him forth. God can incarnate himself from eternity, the eternal son of man, into the womb of a woman and live life on this earth. God can forgive us of our sins. God can go to the cross and die and and raise again from the grave to give us life. God can take our enemies and make them our friends. There's nothing that God can't do. 
in my life, in your life, this is not just Bible stuff. Our God is a God of the impossible. And, and God is trying to encourage Mary with these words. But I would tell you, he's trying to encourage us as well through, the, through her story. The last thing that I think uh, the, the text tells us in the, the Christmas story about Mary, at least that we see through Mary, is the price of being used by God. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. These are words that we remember Mary by. I mean, this, uh, these and perhaps the, some of the ones in, in Luke chapter 2, Mary also sings a song of Advent. She's, after all this happens to her, she receives God's promise of, of carrying a baby, and she sings a song, uh, a song of praise to God. But I, I think the, the, the point I see in this, and, and this doesn't um, outweigh other points, but it's a significant one, Mary paid a big price to serve God. She, she paid a huge price to serve God. There will be questions regarding Mary's integrity. Um, her and her husband, Joseph, will become the object of ridicule and gossip for the rest of their lives. I mean, think about that. You're, you're saying yes to something that would make you the, the laughing stock of your whole community. God asked Mary to bear a child without being formally married in a society that, that shamed, hum, uh, humiliated, exiled, mocked, and possibly even killed such women. Mary would have to travel. You remember the video? Mary would have to travel 70 miles pregnant from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I mean, think about our current day. You can't even get on an aircraft in the terminal part of your pregnancy, and she has to get on a mule and, like, Whatever those bumps felt like going that. I mean, that couldn't have been, that couldn't have felt good. No wonder she went to labor as soon as she got there. Mary delivers Jesus in the most humble of circumstances. But here's the thing. She nurtures him. She protects him. Uh, she stays near Jesus all her earthly life only to have to witness her own son die on the cross. I would tell you that the price that Mary paid for being used by God was huge. Now, what happens here? You know, there's a, there's a lot more that we can learn about Mary, even from Scripture. Okay, uh, and and I, I we don't have time to do that. But a lot of times, history, theologians, church traditions, and personal agendas either makes too much or too less of Mary. And so, in, in some circles, Mary is a saint. She's perfect. She never had any intercourse. She didn't have kids. All those kinds of Things people will say to 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 make Mary out to be more than she should. But sometimes in our kinds of evangelical circles, we'll make too less of Mary. We'll say, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make Mary's not perfect. She's not a saint. There's nothing special about Mary. But I would tell you, come on now. I mean, how many women on the in the earth got to birth Jesus? There's one. So uh, let me leave you with two points. Two quick points. What should we see about the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary? And I think the first point is a, is a very important point. It's an example of faith. Here's a, here's a simple girl from a simple town with a simple faith, and she likely knows very little about life. But the thing that she knows about, the, the thing that she exudes is, is faith. Mary didn't have the, the revelation of the New Testament canon that we have. She has only bits and pieces of scripture that she might have learned as she was going to the synagogue and that she treasured in her heart as she was growing up. But this young lady, the thing that she does have 
is faith. She believes what God says. And I, I compare that to so many of us. We have so much more information than Mary does, but oftentimes, I know for myself, I have far less faith in the little stuff that, that I do know. A lot of times we think, you know, I need to learn more. I need to learn a little bit more before I go and, and tell somebody about Jesus or before I even use in any small way the things that God that I've learned about God. And, and the truth is, maybe you do. There's always something for us to learn. But I think the first thing should be first, that, that we should believe what we've already been taught. And I think we learn that through Mary. Just believe what you've been taught. Mary shows, Mary knows very little, but she trusts everything that she knows. She trusts it all. Here's a second thing. So many of us have, have our lives charted out. I mean, we've, we, we decide what we want to do, and then we come to God and say, Lord, would you do this for me in Jesus' name? Amen. I mean, I, I do that, unfortunately, all the time, right? We, we, we chart our path, and then we, got, we say, God, can you come and bless this for me? And I think the truth is, if God would rewrite any of our scripts away from how we want him to write them, I mean, we would be all up in arms. We would have a hissy fit, right? That's what my grandma used to call it, just a fit. We, we would be perturbed at God for disrupting our plan. Mary had a plan. She had a script for her life. And it was, as a young girl, to do what all young girls did, to be betrothed, to get to know her would-be husband, to get married, to have kids, to do whatever the, the life brought forth from that union and to live happily ever after. Amen. But guess what? An angel showed up. New script. And this is what Mary says. I'm, I'm your servant. Whatever the Lord wants, he gets to write the script for my life. And so I think from this, Mary should, Mary should definitely not be the object of our faith. We don't need to venerate Mary. We don't need to make her more than she should be. She's not a saint in the, in the sense of perfection. She's a saint of God like all of us are. But we should follow the example of faith that Mary exudes. Uh, the last thing that I would, I would encourage you to see in this is a focus on God. As much as we can learn from Mary, um, much like G, uh, Joseph last week, Mary is not the hero of the Christmas story. Jesus is. God is. God reveals himself to Mary as he does to us. He tells her about Jesus. He tells us about Jesus. God comes to Mary and offers her the opportunity to, to, to have new life in her. And he, and he offers us the opportunity to have uh, new life in us. In, in John 3, Jesus calls it, uh, new birth or being born again. Just as the Holy Spirit did a miracle in Mary, the Holy Spirit comes to do a miracle in us. And as Mary responded in faith, we have the opportunity to respond in faith toward God, trusting in God. Mary responded by saying, my life belongs to God. Let me be his servant. And so how would you respond? And I know that doesn't sound like your typical Christmas story. I mean, that's these aren't Christmas, um, Christmas, Christmas themed kinds of uh, examples that I'm given, but I think this is what God initiates at Christmas. This is what God does when He sends Jesus. And the question for all of us, in view of the Christmas story through Mary's eyes, is: Is was, what have you learned about Jesus? Has the Holy Spirit come to you? Is He birthing new spiritual life in you? 
Would you respond to that in faith? Would you trust Jesus? Would you receive this gift of grace, the favor that God gives? And would you say like Mary, I'm your servant? It's not my life, it's yours. And so I don't know your predicament here. You might be sick or healthy or rich or or single or married, barren, trying to have kids, fertile, failure or success. But this is what Mary's words encourage us to to say and to do. It, It encourages us to say, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, that's what I want. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word that gives us life and brings life to us. And I pray that in the example of Mary, that we would treasure your word in our hearts. She says that later in Luke 2. I I pray that we would see in Mary's story, the story of a God who, who loves us in his grace enough to condescend. He comes down from his his lofty existence in eternity to insignificant people living in insignificant places, locations on the earth. And he gives us something significant to do. He gives us the opportunity to to have new life birthed in us. For Mary, it was the very life of the Son of God. For us, it's to be carriers of your spirit, to be um, recipients of your great grace. There's no better story regarding Christmas than to know that we get to have the Son of God living in us, helping us live life through us. So would you do that for us this Christmas? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.